following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Good evening, everybody. What a beautiful summer day in Austin. Isn't it wonderful? You know, I've got some wonderful grandkids. Y'all know about my grandkids, don't you? You know about them. And, and, and so we do mighty fine as often as we can because we have a lot of grandkids. And they, they like mighty fine. They love the burgers and they love the chicken sandwiches. And I wish we knew the owner and I wished he went to this church so we'd get discounts or whatever. No, I'm we have bought We have bought enough burgers over there to own part of that company. But coming into church tonight, Caroline and Ellery wanted to ride with me from Mighty Fine over here. And, uh, and uh, Caroline said this. She said, Bo, that's what they call me in their tender moments. She said, Bo, she said, it's going to snow. And I said, it sure is. It's going to be the second snow that we've had. And she said, that's good, isn't it? I said, that's real good. And I said, but what we want is a wet snow if you want to build a snowman because dry snow doesn't work. She said, what's dry snow like? I said, like holding sand in your hand. She said, oh, I don't want that. I want that wet snow. <laughs> and, and I said, baby, you, you got to understand, you're seven years old and it'll probably never happen again until you're 30 years old. <laughs> but if we see another snow this winter, it's going to be one of the greatest winters we've ever had. And I'm, I'm just going to say, God, let it snow. <laughs> let it snow. It's all right with me. If it snows on Sunday, we'll be here. Hey, I want to commend you for being here tonight in church because it lets me know we're kind of getting back to that old field of Wednesday night church. We really are. We're getting back to that field. And, and, and you love Wednesday nights. We used to pack the old building out on Wednesday nights and we'd have 150, 200 kids next door and about 150 in the children's area next door. And we just did it. So COVID's going away. We're from a five to a four. We're moving down. We're going to get this thing out of our lives. And we're going to have church all spring right here at Christian Life Austin. Come on, clap your hands real big. That's good. That's good. I am delighted tonight to have guests with us, people that I love, that I've been around for a while. This whole front row right here, this whole front row, not the women, but the men, have been a part of a of a Bible study group that I go to every other Thursday in San Marcos, hosted by the man on the end, Terry Gilmore over here. And uh, the Ingrams are here tonight, wave at us kids. The Ingrams are here and there's the Glaus family, wave at us right there, uh, Jason. And hey, stand up, stand up, Laurie, stand up, Laurie. Laurie is the chief of police at Texas State University, so don't mess with her. Don't mess with her. And then the Frasers are, Frasers are members here and we love them and what a joy it is to have them with us here tonight. And it's good to have other guests here tonight. I met a beautiful new family uh, before church tonight and we'll introduce them at a later time. But what a joy to see you in the house of God. Would you stand? I'm going to give you one little funny thing before I, before I teach tonight. One little funny thing. It's about Tom Brady. And here it is. You ready? Don't ever discount the older people. Don't ever discount the older people. <laughs> you ready for that? You know, I read something the other day that was so cool. It was so cool to me that Tom Brady 
had all those guys on, on, uh, on what do you call that, uh, Zoom, that Zoom, had them on Zoom every night, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, at 11 p.m. Tampa time. And he would get on that Zoom call with those guys, all of his teammates, all 53 of them, and he would talk to them about 15, 20 seconds, not take over a minute of their time. And he'd say at the end, guys, we're going to win this game. Have a good night. And I thought, wow, what a leader. But I, I, I know what else he was doing. He was finding out where they were <laughs> at 11 o'clock in Tampa on Monday night. And if they answered that Zoom, they were in tune with what was going to happen on Sunday. And Sunday was pretty good. I, I mean, for the old people, I, I, I kind of liked it. <laughs> don't ever discount, don't ever discount him. Don't ever discount him. He's good. He's good. He, he could go to the Cowboys and I think might have a chance to get in the playoffs. <laughs> I got tickled at that myself because I, <laughs> he might have a chance to get them in the playoffs. We started a series last week called The Life God Blesses. Everybody say, The Life God Blesses. And we talked last week about the difference in spirituality and a spiritual experience. We want to live our life in spirituality, not from experience to experience, not a high and a low and an in and an out and an up and a down. We want to live on a plane of spirituality, that whatever happens, comes our way, we're going to stand tall and say, I'm going to serve the Lord all the days of my life. And it is an honor to talk to you again tonight, the life God blesses tonight, the disruptive moments in life is what we're teaching on tonight. Thank you all that helped me get this ready for, for you folks, and thank you a praise and worship team for doing such a noble job on Wednesday night. It's just, uh, it's very difficult for everybody to get together early, early, early and get it ready, but they do it wonderfully. Let's give them a great hand. And you may be seated. God bless your awesome people. On April the 7th, 1789, the U.S. Senate created a position called the doorkeeper. The doorkeeper. They appointed James Mathers to the position. And Mathers' job was pretty simple. He was to ensure that all senators showed up and stayed in the Senate chamber ready to do business of the government at hand. The United States Constitution required that a quorum do the business and all members needed to be present and ready when needed. And his job was to keep them doing business for the duration of time undisturbed by the outside crowd and making sure that those that wanted to check out had a good reason to leave and he knew when they was coming back right away because things would sometimes get dicey or disruptive in that Senate meeting, and men would want to get out of the place and walk away from it and get a little air. His job was simply to keep them in the game. That was his job. And I think that that's a pastor's job, is to keep you in the game. It's important that we stay the course. It's important that we not just start this race, but we finish this race. Now, with that in mind, let me teach. Mount Everest is a, has become a symbol. Everest stands for all that is high and purest and most difficult to attain. As the, as the climbers struggle, gasping toward the summit, they will be continually putting heart into all who are striving upward in whatever field that they are in, even people like us. However, this knowledge will do most to put heart into themselves. 
because 29,000 plus feet is not a small hill to conquer. Alexander Somerville wrote this after the day of splendid failure in Texas in 1842. He was one of Sam Houston's uh, uh, leaders and concerning the run amok fight against Mexico that went in disarray and went into dejection. And he sent all the Texas men home and said, get on home. But then he summed it up like this to, 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 to Sam Houston. He said, the fight is worth it. It's worth it every time. Now, before I get into this real good, I want to tell you something. You're not always going to win in this thing called life. You're not always going to come out on top. You're not always going to KO your opponent. You're not always going to chokehold him out. You're not always going to knock him to the canvas. Sometimes you will be checked, and sometimes you'll go to the corner and say, what's happening? But I want to declare something before I ever got, get started here tonight. The fight is worth it. Worth it every time. It's worth it every time. I don't care what comes against you, keep on fighting, keep on fighting, because we're going to win this thing. Pick up the phone. It's 11 o'clock on Wednesday night. Pick up the phone. We're going to win this thing. We're going to win it. We're going to make it happen in our life. God is for us. I'm old enough to appreciate the formation of the interstate system, the multiple lanes, the graceful curves, and the large informative green signs and frequent rest stops. They all look alike. Nonstop driving from one end of the U.S. to another, whether it be Highway 5 or 15 or 25 or 35 or 45, 55, 65, 75, 85, or 95 on the East Coast or whether it be 10 through 90 going east and west. There's minimal stress. There's high boredom. You'll get there quicker, but you will learn nothing in your journey. However, I really like the old maps that they used to have of the U.S., and they had blue highways on those maps, blue roads. When I have time, I love to take those blue highways. They're the two-lane roads that cut through the country, PJ and I took several of those last summer on our way home from Montana. We flew the kids home and we came home the long way. Did everything we wanted to do and saw everything we wanted to see. She wanted to see Mount Rushmore and I wanted to see Dodge City because I love wider. I wanted to see Dodge City. There's hindered passages on two-lane roads, secondary routes many times. Sometimes they're poorly maintained. There's potholes. Highways are under repair. In each town, there's a police officer usually hiding behind a chicken fried place, like Kentucky Fried Chicken with one radar gun, seeking revenues for the community. Get ready for slow-moving vehicles. There's no passing zone, and there's absolutely no ETA. There's no estimated time of arrival anywhere. You cannot set a time. There's a lot of disruptions along the blue highways of life. No one's life here has been interstate highways. No one, none, none of us. But most have traveled the blue highways, secondary roads. And most of us share these sentiments. There's no straight lines. There's a lot of get off and detours and go around to another highway to get back on your highway. There's accidents, there's flat tires. There's a few speeding tickets and potholes. Did I mention potholes? That's the third time I've mentioned it. I hope you're listening. But there has been glorious beauty on those roads. There's been roadside parks. There's been nice towns. There's been great friendships. 
There's been opportunities to make a difference. I call this secondary road lifestyle disruptive moments. Would you say it with me? Disruptive moments. The unanticipated events that all of us would have chosen to avoid had it been possible. Somerville said it best. I'll repeat him. The fight is worth it. Worth it every time. In every disruptive moment, I have experienced some of the greatest soul talk with Jesus ever happens in my life in those disruptive moments. Sometimes we don't have enough of those days. Let me explain soul talk. It's that part beneath the waterline. It's the ballast of the sailboat, the four-ton steel ballast that attaches to the keel, the heavy, the heavy that I must possess, the part that you can't see, the balancer, the stabilizer, that part that keeps me from shipwreck, that part that keeps me right side up. The Bible calls it the hidden man of the heart, that part that says, I can't do this by my human spirit. I can't make this happen with my body. I need you, God. You are my decision maker. You place this soul in me for this time. You breathed into me the breath of life and I became a living soul. And it's Moses on the mountain saying, God, I'm not going to the promised land if you don't go with us because I need your presence. It's Gideon in a cave asking for bravery to fight the Midianites. It's Samson at the pillars saying, God, I need strength to bring these down. It's Elijah on the mountain saying, God, answer by fire. Please answer by fire. And it's Jesus in the garden saying, if, you're, if it's your will, Father, let this cup pass from me. Somehow, I have observed we humans many times neglect the soul and all else in the unseen world beneath the waterline until these disruptive moments occur in our lives or unless, as one man said it this way, as I look back on life, I realized the only thing that taught me anything was suffering. I'm sorry to teach like this tonight, not happiness, not successes. But when I get hold of what life is really about, what life signifies, it came by suffering and it came by affliction. Bertrand Russell, while his wife was dying, wrote this, nothing I had accomplished could bring me to the point of acceptance of what was happening. The loneliness was unendable and only the highest intensity of love can penetrate that. If we are to touch one another, that love has to penetrate the core of loneliness in all of us. Jesus, my soul cries out to you tonight. Penetrate me with your love. Let me feel the touch of heaven in my life tonight. Let me not walk out of here until I know without a shadow of a doubt that one, I have come to worship you. And two, I have leaned in to learn from you. And three, I have shown love to somebody else in this house. Come on, let's live, give God a hand clap today and say, I want God to touch my soul tonight. Oh, I feel good tonight teaching. Now I'm gonna read from Numbers chapter 22. Verse 21 through 35, you think it's going to be boring, but it's really not. It's one of the funniest scriptures in the Bible, passages. I'm not going to put it on the screen. It's in the NIV. It's a man about a man named Balaam who God sent, or Balak sent to curse the people of God. And 
And when he opened his mouth to curse the people of God, blessings came out. He couldn't curse it because you can't curse what God's blessed. So here's the scripture. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey. The King James don't use that word donkey. And went with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. And Balaam was riding on his donkey. And his two servants were with him. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road into the field. And Balaam beat it and said, get back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyards with the walls on both sides. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall and it crushed Balaam's foot against it. Hallelujah. I love it. God stepped on his toe. So he beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn either to the right or the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, by, by the way, this was a female donkey. It's amazing when a female donkey is smarter than a prophet and hears from God before a prophet does. Just thought I'd say that. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam and he was angry and beat it with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth. <laughs> And he said to Balaam, what have I done to you to make you beat me with these three times? And Balaam answered the donkey. Now, I'm going to tell you something. When a donkey talks, that's one thing. But when you talk back to a donkey, <laughs> them white coats might be coming after you. <laughs> what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam said to the donkey, you have made, me, made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey? which you have always ridden to this day? Have I, been in, have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed down and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? <laughs> That's funny. I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me three times. If he had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared the donkey. <laughs> Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you're displeased, I will go back. If you're displeased, I'm fixing to kill you with this sword, Balaam. <laughs> displeased? Yeah, I'm a little bit shaken. The angel said to, uh, to Balaam, go with the men, but, I, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with Balak's officials. Now, folks, that's a funny story. That's a funny story. I hadn't read that story in a long time, and I got to reading it the other day, and I said, I'm going to read this to the church. Because you've got to see that with humor. This donkey saw what the prophet didn't see, and he was going to prophesy. He was blind to what he was going to say. God could not penetrate Balaam. The donkey was aware of something that Balaam was oblivious to. And an angel is standing in the way. The lesson is stop and listen. That's the lesson. God had to give him a, disrupt, a disruptive moment to stop him. He has to do the same to us sometimes. He says, hey, listen to me. I'm talking. Hush. So that's what I'm going to talk about tonight. God loves you and he wants your attention. And he will get your attention one way or another. So you got to let him have it. Come on, clap your hands and say, I want God to have my attention. COVID doesn't need to have our attention. This sickness doesn't need to have our attention. God needs to have our attention. 
Come on, come on. God's got to have your attention. We've got to turn our hearts toward home. We've got to say, God, I need you in my life. Come on, somebody. Let's have a little church here tonight. I need you in my life. I read about a young man in the NFL who said, sometimes we're not what we think we are. He was good, but he got cut from the team. And he went outside the stadium and sat on the ground beside his car and he cried. And he said, it was the first time I had allowed God to speak to me because God gave him a disruptive moment. David Burnham from Wheaton College, football was his God. He was in a championship game one day and he got knocked unconscious carrying the ball. They carried him off the field and he came to when they put him in an ambulance and he heard the crowd roaring for another ball carrier as they drove away from the stadium. And he said, my God was in another man's arms. The football was his God. And the crowd was on to other heroes. His soul listened. His soul listened in that disruptive moment. And he was drafted by the Redskins, I mean the Washington football team, in the NFL. But he turned it down. You know what to do? To be a minister of the gospel. There's something about the disruptive moments with God. And there's four areas I want to address tonight. Then I'm going to be through. I won't be much longer. I'll, I'll be through in about another hour and a half. The first one, you folks know better than that. You know I quit on time. The first one is the disruptive moment of crisis. Say crisis. We all have those things, things we cannot control. That's what a crisis is. Crisis refers to an event we're not ready for. It's also an event out of our control. At the turn of the century, there were floods in the Midwest. They called them 100-year floods. They could have been 500-year floods. Earthquakes in the U.S. and around the world. Tornadoes everywhere. Recent hurricanes in mass. About five came in out of the Gulf in about a week and a half. Hurricanes everywhere. Tsunamis. Things we cannot control. I put a picture on, on the screen again of Michael Plant. Here he is. There's Michael in his boat, the Coyote. We talked about him. He was the ace in sailing in California. On his way to France, on his way around the world sailing in that boat when he lost the ballast underneath and flipped and they never found Mike, 11 days into his journey. He thought he could handle anything, but he realized he could not handle a disruptive moment. I remember some deep crisis in my life, the loss of my family, the loss of a brother to suicide. Financial difficulty in bringing in a church in Dallas, Texas, and almost losing my oldest girl, Misty, when she was just an infant, to choking on some baby food. Listen to this, Pastor. There will be things we will come up against that we cannot control. Would you say it with me? There will be things we will come up against that we cannot control. But Robert Frost wrote, two roads diverged in a yellow wood. The road left marked with denial, defensiveness, blame, and escape. The road right, repentance, sorrow, submission, and quiet. And he said, and I chose the road less traveled. You hear me? There has got to be something in our lives when we go through crisis that lets us understand that God is not against us. He is trying to wake us up. He's trying to help us. 
He's trying to bring us to our senses. And you know what our senses is? That we need him in our life more than anything in this world. I wish somebody could help me right now. I wish somebody understood could help me right now. Chuck Colson fell in Watergate with all the guys. He said it this way in his book, Who Speaks for God? I discovered in prison when all props were stripped away, it was God's grace and God's grace alone that kept me through in my life. He said, I lost my, I lost my life and I found his. Now, I'm, just, I'm teaching tonight because I want you to understand something. We have come back from a long, long winter, a long, long time of not being together with one another. And we have had some disruptive moments in the last nine, 10 months in our life. And I'm telling you, God has done that so he could get our attention. You hear me, God knows what's going on with this COVID. He knows what's going on with all this stuff. And God is on top of it all. Job said he's above the stars. He's above everything. And God's looking down and said, I got the whole world in my hand. And I want you to understand, you can trust him. In the disruptive moments of crisis in your life, you can trust him. Oh, I feel like clapping myself right now. You can trust him. You can trust him. You can trust him. He's a trustworthy God. He's a trustworthy God. I hadn't run on this stage yet. I'm going to do it one day. I'm afraid my feet will stick and I'll fall. The second is the disruptive moment of wonderment. Everybody say wonderment. Or things we cannot explain. These moments leave us breathless. They're like the Karis moments, those moments in time, those not Cronus, not, not moments that are defined by a calendar or a clock, but moments that are just, they're just here and then they're gone. It's like an aha moment. It's like one of those wow moments in life. They're wonderments. They leave us breathless. And it's almost too wonderful to appreciate how God could do this for me. That kind of moment. I remember holding my first grandson almost 22 years ago for the first time. I said grandson. Grandson. He'll be 22 in April. And I held him. And even though he was wounded, and he had to stay nine days in NICU, seeing the life of a newborn boy was beyond explanation. And he's getting married this year, and he's asked me to do his wedding. He's marrying the girl that did the announcements, and wow, he found a needle in a haystack when he found her, but I think he'll bring some good thread, and maybe they'll sew a good marriage together, you know? That's pretty good. But holding that boy was beyond belief. And then the second grand, grandchild born was a boy. And then the third grandchild born was a boy. And God tapped me on the shoulder and said, is that good? I said, that's good, God. Thank you. Then we had a little girl. She's going to be president someday. She is the leader. She is the leader of all leaders. Then we had another little boy. Four of the first five grandkids were boys, and then God gave us four straight girls. 
and the girls outnumber the boys now five and four, and I think we're finished. <laughs> Those wonderful moments. They're just wonderful moments. But then I, I got to tell you about another wonderful moment. One of those moments of wonderment. 39 years ago, this Friday, February, February the 12th, Patty said she had become my wife. And we got married on Friday night, February the 12th, 1982, in Houston, Texas, at Grace Church. And uh, I'm blown away. I'm blown away that God gave me another chance at love. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to get you pity. I'm, I just, I'm, I'm so excited I could jump up and down and touch that roof right now. <laughs> but sometimes I cry when I get real happy. I don't want to embarrass my wife tonight. She's got a toboggan on. She's dressed for the winter. But Patty, I want you to come up here right quick. I want to show you off. Come here, baby girl. I want to show you off. I love you. Come on, come on. I love you. And I'm crying real tears. Because this girl, when she said yes, you want to get in the light or just stay in the dark? Well, <laughs> Pull that off, please. You're pretty with <laughs> Thank you. When she said yes, I started turning cartwheels. And 39 years ago this Friday, we were married. And this is one of the greatest disruptive moments of my life. I love you. I love you. Earl, if you'll help her, I appreciate it. Wow. That's good stuff. The disruptive moments of wonderment in our lives. You know, Moses saw a burning bush one day and it was not consumed and Jonah was in a fish and he wasn't, he wasn't killed. And the stars at night and the universe display and we sing that song, How Great Thou Art, because he is a great God. And I, I often wonder how astronomers can talk about stars that are shining so casually when it took them 15 million light years to get their light to where we are. Callsbed Cavern as a boy was a wonder to me. Grand Canyon as a man was a wonder to me. I read about a little woman that saw the Grand Canyon for the first time and she said this, something big must have happened here. <laughs> yes, it did, ma'am. It's a wonder to us all. Patty and I were coming home from a conference a few years ago and we was on top of the Grand Canyon crossing a bridge over it before we knew it. Moments like that that I can't explain. Any of you folks ever had some of those wonder moments? Would you like to say amen to that? You've had some of those moments. And then the third one is the dis disruptive moments of aging. <laughs> the process that we can't avoid. You know, I'm in my 70s now, so I've lived probably half of my life. I don't take this body for granted anymore. I know what it is to feel mortal. I don't memorize as good as I used to. I find myself resisting changes in the world and I find myself wanting to eat dessert first. <laughs> I want yesterday's values. I want yesterday's convictions. 
I see myself more as a spectator now than a participator. It's hard for a country boy to become contemporary. My generation has had success, some mediocrity and some failure, and some have dropped out. Men I went to seminary with dropped out. They no longer are doing what I'm doing. But I've said it before and I'll say it again. Time has a way of winning in the game of life. But I want every person 60 and older to hear me right now. There's a place for you in the kingdom of God right now. There's a place for you in the kingdom of God right now. Come on now, come on. Come on. Even though the journey from the other end was once long, but from this end it's a whole lot shorter. As one man said, I can no longer understand what's happening in America because I'll become an old man frozen in the past. No, maybe the past was just what we needed sometimes in our life. But I love what Paul said in 2 Corinthians, and this is going to illustrate a lot of things of what I'm trying to say. Therefore, he said, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. In other words, don't judge people by their age or their flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Aren't you happy for that? Aren't you happy for that? It's an awesome thing to know that we don't judge each other by how old we are or how young we are. David was not even old enough to be in a war when he killed a giant with a sling. And then David was an old man when his buddies took care of him and slayed the giants for him. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Everybody matters in the kingdom of God. And all of us are going to get older. And all of us are going to hopefully get wiser. But don't let that disruptive moment of aging say, Oh God, I don't matter anymore. You still matter to God in the kingdom. Turn to your neighbor and say, You matter, you matter, you matter, you matter. Mother Teresa was a Nobel Prize winner. Affected so many after she was aged. Richard Rohr wrote these notes in India. Life has four phases, he said. A student learns from a wise man. Number two, they marry and establish home and family and provides, becomes a householder. Number three, he or she becomes a seeker of knowledge. And number four, the seeker becomes the wise person that students come to. That's the circle of life. You start young asking questions, you seek it, you find it, and then you become the one that people come to. Remember the first people to witness Jesus in the arms of Joseph and Mary were two older people, Simeon and Anna. They were aged people. There's a, there's, a, there's a core of people called the Home Guard that worked in the Civil War for the Union Army. They were older men that could not go to war, but they said, we'll be the Home Guard. We'll guard what's left behind. And they defended cities. And the city of Columbia, Missouri was attacked by the Southern Army. And those Columbia fighting tigers held off those men trying to take the city of Columbia while the young men were going to war, the old guard stayed, the home guard stayed. You hear me. We need everybody in this house to matter. We need everybody in this house to count. And older people have wisdom that younger people are seeking for. And let's give them that, that Jesus is Lord of our lives and we can help everybody and anybody that needs help from us. Come on, clap your hands. That's good stuff. I'm almost done. Randy, if you'll come. If you'll come. And then there's the disruptive moment of spiritual discipline. Discipline. Something most of us would rather not do. 
discipline ourselves. Crisis, you can't control. Wonderment, you can't explain. Aging, you can't avoid. And discipline, discipline, you'd rather not do. Discipline is the act of inducing pain or stress in one's life in order to grow. And I'm not trying to be some kind of person that says we need to self-inflict. But to a greater toughness and greater capacity and greater endurance and greater strength. So spiritual discipline is that effort pressing the soul into greater effort so that it will enlarge its capacity to hear God speak. And as a result, it'll generate an inner force that will guide and empower one's mind and outer life. I want you to listen to me. It's so easy when you've known God for a long time. It's so very easy to get easy in your life and quit seeking God. Let me, de- let me declare something to you. Daniel did not go in the lion's den until the 69th year of his captivity. He was an old man, not a young man. Things are going to come against all kinds of people, disruptive moments. And we all need to go out strong, clutching to God and holding him deep in our soul to make the proper decisions in life. Amen. Amen. I... Uh, you know, you'd think that somebody has preached the gospel as long as I have. You'd have it all kind of figured out. I'm still learning. I'm ever attaining. I'm trying to reach. I'm pressing for a mark of the prize of the high calling. I'm forgetting what's behind. I'm going on because we must, we must discipline ourselves. Amen. Discipline ourselves that I want more of you. Our 21 days of prayer and fasting absolutely revolutionized me. It got me started for this new year. And everyone that was a part of that, you that's online that prayed at home and you that came to church, the many that came here every morning at six o'clock for prayer, we had huge crowds. We had crowds this big at prayer, even bigger than this at prayer. And it's beautiful to know that people are still challenging themselves, pushing pushing past where they are, going further than they've ever gone and not relaxing in some kind of easy spiritual chair and saying, I'm fixed. I'm ready. I don't need anything else. We all need more. It's easy to get spiritually lazy in life. Runners and swimmers and wrestlers all have to cross pain thresholds to become winners. I put Bill Toomey on the screen tonight. Bill Toomey, he was my hero in 1968. He won the decathlon in Mexico City. He pushed himself in the 50s when others would stop and he repeated the workouts that he had done. He did workouts twice. He did workouts twice. And he won. He won. Wow. Just seemed like yesterday, Bill. He's my friend. He don't know it, but he's my friend. Same is true of the spiritual. Leave the screen, leave the picture up there. Same is true of the spiritual. We've got to push ourselves. Leave it up. We've got to push ourselves. There's a finish line someday. We've got to push ourselves. We've got to push ourselves. We've got to discipline ourselves. You don't need some things, and you need some things. You don't need that, and you need this. 
God wants you to discipline yourself in his kingdom. You know why Joshua led the children of Israel? Because he lingered in the tabernacle. He stayed. He stayed because he wanted his soul to be right with God. He stayed. He said, I, I want to get right with you. I want, I want you to find favor in my life. And I want to find your favor, God. And he led the Israelites across the Jordan River and he conquered the cities of Canaan. And he was a winner because he kept pushing himself. He and Caleb were the only two that came out of Egypt that went into the land of promise because he kept pushing himself. Have you ever looked at Caleb? He said, I'm 85 years old and I still want that mountain right there. I want it for a long time and I still want it. You see that mountain? I want that mountain and I'm going to get it and he got it. Don't ever stop pushing yourself. Don't ever stop giving of yourself to the cause. Don't ever stop saying, God, I need more. Come on, soul, let's get right with God. Let's have a time with God. Let's have a time. I may go through crisis that I can't control. I may go through wonderment that I can't explain. I may go through aging that I can't avoid, but I'm gonna be a spiritually disciplined person. Even though I'd rather not do it, I'm gonna push myself. Patty, by the way, Thank you for wanting to go on a date with me on Friday. We're going on a date. A couple's taking us to lunch, and then Patty's going to take me to a jewelry store and buy me a new wedding band. She don't like this one. She's going to buy me another one. So Sunday, I'll have another wedding band on. I already know what I'm getting for my anniversary. She's already told me. We don't have any secrets in our home. Because I asked, what are you getting me for anniversary? She told me. Would you stand? I love you very, very much. And I love Wednesday nights with you. It's just so cool to be here Wednesday nights. I love y'all. I love you, George. I love y'all. All right, I'm praying for you. I love you, buddy. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Dear Father, I, I thank you for these precious people here tonight. I honor them. I honor their families. I honor their hopes and their dreams and their wishes and their heart's desires. I honor them. I'm so grateful, God, that you put them in our path and I got to get in their path. Thank you for bringing us together and for all that are listening tonight via line, online, thank you for them and we're looking to see those folks come back so soon. God, help us with this pandemic and get us through and Lord, don't let the disruptive moments of life destroy it. Destroy us. Let them make us into the greatness that you have for us in our life. That's the life that you're going to bless. People that can handle those disruptive moments in life and can push themselves to the next level. Raise your hands all over the house now. Repeat with me. Dear Jesus, I love you tonight. I thank you for the word. I will honor the word. And I will do the word. I will not just be a hearer, but I'll be a doer. Bless our family. Give us a great Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Bring us back to your house on Sunday. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Now, with your hands above your head, give the Lord a great hand clap right now all over the house. Open your mouth wide and praise Him. Come on, clap your hands. Clap your hands real big. Clap your hands real big. Yeah.
Yes. Yes. Hallelujah. 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 Glory. Glory. Now say it with me. I can do this. And say, Pastor, we're going to win. You're dismissed. I love you. You're great people. Have a wonderful night. Be safe. See you on Sunday. God bless. Love you.